0: Uncle T is back in the Having Fun Hobbying subreddit. He has a new story about how he discovered his ex-fiancee's little sister, someone he'd broken up with 10 years earlier, uh, was prostituting herself on one of the escorting websites. As he does, Uncle T uh, found a way to connect with this woman. And he posted on the Having Fun Hobbying subreddit some nice content about uh, his experience having sex with the little sister of his ex-fiancée. Subsequently, there was a poll on the Having Fun Hobbying subreddit where you can express your opinion about what Uncle T did, whether it's something you would do or consider doing. Uh, I haven't registered my feedback, but I'm eagerly awaiting the results of that poll. And I always like to keep our listeners up to date on Uncle T. So welcome and thank you for listening to episode 105 of Your Mileage May Vary. As you may have guessed, this is Mike. I co-host this podcast with Keith, who is currently in Central America. I'm not sure why. Um, I don't think he's fleeing anything. Uh, One friend suggested maybe he was uh, having a sex change operation, but doing it more cheaply by doing it out of the country. I don't think that's the case either. Um, I expect he'll be back next week, but for this week you have me and I've prepared some some great content for you. I wanted to spend the first several minutes of the podcast talking about another podcast I listened to with um, a guest called Isla Girl. We've talked about her in the past. Um, she had an a couple of posts on Reddit go viral, and <clears throat> she uh, subsequently has become a minor celebrity online. Um, the podcast she was on, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes, uh, is the Lex Friedman podcast, and he spent about four hours talking to her. Um, Isla has done everything from cam being a cam girl to escorting. To OnlyFans. Um, she's polyamorous, um, and one of these people who sort of defies a lot of the expectations of how people are supposed to, or typically would, behave in uh in society. Uh, she's now <clears throat> started uh doing a lot of polling online. Um, I think she's made a lot of money doing her cam shows. And she Uh, has generated what she calls research. Now, there's some debate online about whether it's valid research. She said during the podcast that she has no interest in putting it in a peer-reviewed journal because she thinks that anyone should feel comfortable doing science, and there's no reason to sort of uh, put it behind uh, gates like that. Um, I think more realistically, the reason might just be that when she's doing polling via social media, Twitter, Twitter. TikTok and the like, that people would have reasonable methodological concerns. And those have been uh, aired online quite a bit, um, much to the chagrin of people who uh, really like Isla Girl and argue with them. But for the purposes of this podcast, I'd like to look at the data that she's generated, look at some of the things she's said, and at, at a minimum, accept her personal life experience as valid. And I think there is validity to some of the information that she's generated as well. And I, I wanted to go through some of it and I'll, I'll post links to it in the show notes. Um, <clears throat> first, uh, during the podcast, the Lex Friedman podcast, she she mentioned kind of what or she she went through her history in the industry as it were. Um, first thing I thought was interesting is she talked about how you make the most amount of money camming as a cam girl. Now, she said that she had been making upwards of $100,000 a month Camming, which is a lot of money, although, um, my, my impression maybe that was on OnlyFans actually that she said that, but she certainly said that she'd made that kind of money. And I do know that there are people on OnlyFans who make that. She had opinions on the camming side of how you can make more and less money as a woman. And I was interested to see that she found that being dominant as a woman, uh, on cam shows actually is significantly more effective than being kind of passive. And, um, more uh, sort of normatively feminine. Um, <clears throat> her, her argument, and I thought this was interesting, is that guys are basically looking for someone who's very forward, uh, someone who is really appears or is deeply engaged in what she's doing. I have definitely found this to be the case. Uh, when I watch cam shows, if, if the woman's just sort of sitting there kind of adopting a passive attitude, it's, it's kind of boring and not much happens. And frankly, I think a lot of the time, Uh, It's more interesting when there's a man, uh, not because of the man per se, but because of the uh, behaviors that come out, because of having a more dominant presence there. A lot of women will have uh, money that you can tip to uh, either spin a wheel or get her to do certain activities. But again, that's kind of passive, right? She's waiting for people to insist that she do whatever whatever, whatever thing uh, to her body. Um, and that's not yeah I mean I, I I agree, I find that less compelling and i'm i I am interested in the fact that there's relatively little content like what Isla is describing. And so, yeah, if I were um counseling a woman who was going to become a cam girl, I probably would agree with her and say, yeah, you should probably consider some some creativity and figure out ways to at least come across like you are really excited about what you're doing and you want to, um, you know, create scenes and show the viewers uh, that, that you are taking control um, whether it's you know having some sort of sex machine or you know masturbating in certain ways whatever <clears throat> okay so I thought that was interesting she, she also by the way has tried, tried doing it as pa- in a more passive role but just found that it was less profitable on the escorting side she said that her rates started at $800 for an hour but have escalated Much higher, and more on that later, because she's she's gone up to twenty four hundred dollars an hour. Um, Apparently, sometimes she gives you a break for the second and third hour. I think you know, basically because most of the cost to her is having a new person to interact with. So she she said she did a survey, and this comports with what we've found on the podcast that um, it's more typical for women to charge something like three hundred dollars an hour, and then she also got like a monthly. Uh, revenue number of uh, seven thousand dollars, which which I've never seen anywhere before, but it it sounds plausible. You can kind of, I think I said seven thousand dollars a month for the revenue, um, and you can sort of work out uh, the number of um, Johns that you would have to see per month to have that work out. It's it's a relatively relatively high number in twenty twenty something, twenty three. Um, okay, so she moved through only fans escorting. She's very sort of sexually liberated. Um, she does, she, uh, hosts orgies and participates in them. So not really a lot of, um, taboos there for her. Um, she mentioned something on the podcast that I want to read the transcript of because I thought it was particularly interesting in regards to kind of upping her rates for escorting and actually moving across to a a, a thought process where when she wanted to have casual sex, instead of just meeting somebody online on Tinder or in a bar or something, she would actually use escorting as the way to do that, both to screen the guy and to do something else that I found sort of curious. So let me read from the transcript here. Isla says, so when I was doing it full time, she means escorting, it was my only source of income. It changed quite a lot because I was really incentivized to have repeat customers. So I'm like, okay, if if my primary interaction with you is to have you hire me again, I will do whatever it takes to make that happen. And so if I have to laugh at jokes that I don't find funny or be more adoring of your penis than I actually genuinely feel, like that's what I'm going to express. And obviously, to some degree, t- titrated, you know, like it's unpleasant to force yourself to do to like something that you don't. So I would actually not like to see clients again that I didn't want to, but to some degree there was a sort of self-suppression going on which I think is the way it works in any sort of customer service job. Like you want the customer to leave happy. So you just make sure that you are happy the whole time and you are really enjoying the other person. But so recently when I've kind of dabbled in it since making money through other means where I don't need the money, it's more like a fun thing that I like to do. Sorry, it's more like a fun side thing that I'm, like I said, it's fulfilling the role of casual sex for me. So I don't have to do it. It's not my primary job i just want sort of an excuse to have sex with somebody and the money is a great filter for that so in that case the money yeah it's basically a filter for somebody who's taking this interaction seriously it also so there's an interesting psychological thing and this is important where i have difficulty having casual sex with somebody because some part of my brain which i assume is quite female is doing some evaluation of status whether or not this is going to damage my reputation by having sex with them. If you found out that I went and had random sex with a homeless man, you might like, you might be like, wow, that says something about Isla. Maybe she's trashy, or she just has no standards for who she's going to fuck. Some part of me is continually anxious. I'm like, does this mean I have no standards if I decide to have casual sex with you? What are people going to think? If you introduce money, it takes away that anxiety. I don't have to worry about it because it's like, oh, of course Isla would have sex with that person. They paid her. She's the person, she's the kind of person. uh, It's a little hard to read. This is simply a business transaction. This allows me to enjoy casual sex so much more when somebody pays me for it to the degree that I almost view it as a kink. Okay, so the kink part's not that interesting. But the status thing I think is interesting and and, um, uh, also the customer service angle I think is sort of interesting. Um, You can see that she's moved from um, doing this out of necessity and I think that's, yeah, I mean, the customer service angle, I think, is an important thing to, for men to understand. I think men often have difficulty or maybe don't don't completely understand the uh, amount of show that's being put on by women. But okay, that's, that's less interesting. But the status thing, I think, is quite interesting because what it suggests is that when you are a man with a woman on uh, a first hookup or a one-night stand or whatever it may be, while you kind Of reviewing the sex part as uh, the treat at the end because you've accomplished your goal, the woman may well and seems probably likely is doing this evaluation of status, whether this is going to damage her reputation. In other words, uh, the woman's selectivity in who she has sex with has a lot to do with the status of the potential partner. And this makes sense to me. Um, it actually, listening to this, I listened back to it a, a couple times because I wanted, to, I wanted to see more carefully exactly what she was saying because she says that being paid sort of removes that uh, that barrier. And I, I think what she means is just that it changes it into a transaction. So it's no longer saying anything about her uh, personal choices, what status she has. I think you could also potentially view it as if she's charging somebody $2,400 an hour, then that implies that that person has pretty high status. That's quite a, a high price to pay. That's an annualized salary i don't i don't even know if i can count that high that's a really really high annualized salary um i guess it's like 5 million bucks <clears throat> so uh that you also could view it that way uh in the past i have viewed the status thing a little bit differently and i actually think that her way of looking at it is probably more precise i've looked at it as women have an incentive to um Select a partner who has the types of traits that would ultimately make a good father, a good husband, that kind of thing. So aiming at monogamy. Of course, Isla's not doing that. She's explicitly uh, polyamorous and shows no signs of wanting to be monogamous. I think she said she was in two kind of relationships at the same time right now, and then she does this escorting on the side. And so basically anybody that she's with has to kind of sign up for that. Uh, But what she's saying, so so so, what I had thought was women uh, are trying to kind of identify the ideal um, forever mate or the ideal person to raise children with. And so then I thought to myself, well, in environments like in high school or something where there's a limited selection and people don't have that much knowledge about the world, uh, women simply make mistakes. Um, they're attracted to the captain of the football team, even though he's not somebody who's going to go to the NFL and become wealthy or successful. And they might uh, disregard, you know, the the kid who's getting straight A's um, because he, you know, who might go to a good college because she she maybe is making a mistake or doesn't understand um, what will what will be relevant uh, later in life for raising a family. Um, in fact, I think this is a much more precise way to look at it. It's simply that she's asking herself at every moment what what is the status of the person I'm potentially hooking up with having sex with dating. I think that makes a lot more sense. So in the context of a sort of small pond like that, uh the big fish is going to be the high status person and actually I don't I suspect that women don't really it's 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 a simplifying assumption. It's a shortcut. Um if you simply look at the status of the person that you're considering, that's enough uh, in most cases to get you toward a guy who's going to be a good father, good provider, good uh, long-term prospect. Um, and so in those sort of small, big fish, small pond situations, it goes kind of haywire. Of course, when you get out into the real world, uh, the status, uh, evaluation is going to become, um, much broader and more intense. It's going to be things like who has money, maybe who has social media followers, who has celebrity, these sorts of things. It's going to become much more difficult. And alongside that, as young people have become more and more connected to the web, to the internet, their access to uh, a broader field of people probably changes how high status is evaluated. Um, you could see this uh, making you know, making it so that women are less willing to um, uh, date or have sex with a guy uh, in those environments. Uh, you could just see it changing changing who they select. Anyway, I thought it was very interesting and honest of Viola to <clears throat> describe the thought process in her head. And I also think the idea of, you know, uh, I, I think this is something that men don't have a lot of uh, frame of reference for in our brains. Um, the idea that you might be sitting there consi- evaluating people during sex on status like this, um, kind of worrying, being anxious. This is not at all uh, congruent with the experience that men have. And I think that's kind of interesting. So I'd like to move on and look at isla's um research uh and as i mentioned at the top of the show i don't really want to get into the question of whether uh putting a poll on twitter or tiktok is really valid randomized sampling it isn't but uh with this kind of data it's actually quite hard to get at it uh, that being sexual data and so i think it's worthy it's sort of worthwhile to look at um regardless um So the first one I'd like, like first piece of data I'd like to take a look at, and I'll I'll uh, I'll post these on the show notes, is a chart of sexual fetishes. Uh, This one is a chart with reference to political orientation um, for men and for women, and um, we can look at the men first. Um, She looked at two axes, uh, presumably with um, with. uh, polling data asking questions that determine where people fall on these two axes. one is whether you're economically right leaning or left- leaning and the other one is whether you're more libertarian or authoritarian. those are kind of kind of orthogonal the economic and the uh, authoritarian libertarian axis so the axes so that that makes sense. Um, I thought first of all her selection of fetishes was kind of interesting for this. I can I, I mean obviously I can't um, I can't uh, Uh, list every single one of them here on the podcast, but uh, there there are a few that I think are interesting. For example, one is males submitting. Um, Presumably that's uh, submissive men, uh, kind of uh, alongside what she found to be most effective uh, in the camming sphere. And those people are, are economically left and more libertarian. Which kind of makes sense to me. Uh, Similar one is group sex orgies, that sort of thing, which is economically to the left and kind of in between on the other axis. Um, So I guess in more blue states, uh, or at least left-leaning economically, economic places, you would expect to see more group sex. Um, On the other side, uh, well, I mean, this suggests okay, this suggests some data issues. Her furthest to the economic right is necrophilia. Which uh, yeah does suggest that maybe she had a set of people that were like gaming the answers because I I find it a little bit <laughs> first of all I doubt there's an, there are truly many people that are into that sort of stuff and secondly I am uh, I'm skeptical there'd be much correlation with your economic uh, persuasions um, she did find that race play is on the authoritarian and economic right axis um, which is sort of interesting to me. Uh, have actually encountered a race play as a uh, topic before. And it actually has not in my experience skewed this way. It's skewed kind of randomly because it can be either somebody, it depends on what role it's important, whether you want to be the dominant or the more submissive race in the race play. And then there's certain ones that are just completely in the middle, masochism, spanking, anal sex. Is that even a fetish? Um, people who like just getting dirty, uh, Female domination, Female domination. yes, sort of in the middle, but it's more libertarian leaning. And then she has some that I, I'm not sure I believe are real, like monsters and aliens. Um, she has incest uh, economically to the right uh, as well, which is kind of interesting. So these are the fetishes for men. Um, I'm going to pull up the one uh, for women if I can here. <clears throat> so for women, uh, it's kind of similar which is sort of interesting. Um, On the more economic left side, uh, to the far left, you have female domination and pegging. Pegging wasn't even there for the men. I guess pegging is not something that men bring up a lot. Um, So I guess what that means is that um, if you're in a city like San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, you could have a lot of orgies and there would be a fair amount of pegging going on at these orgies when you sort of add those things together. On the economic right, we have race play again, so I doesn't that sort of doesn't make sense to me because the economic right. I mean, I personally associate that with just kind of just like you know rural or uh, kind of red state white people, and so it's like how would you have race play? Then I guess yeah, I'm not sure how that would even work because if both partners are white, there's not a whole lot of race play possible. Um, maybe yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Again, I I have some suspicions about that, but I, I don't want to get into uh, taking aim at the data. Um, and then there's some again that are in the middle for women, uh, piercing and cutting humiliation, bondage, rape play, anal sex, female submission, sounding, sounding's in the middle. Sounding is when you put something down the urethra. So I'm not sure whether it's sounding of the man or the woman. We've talked about that before on the podcast. It's a a nice one. Uh, And then choking, choking did not show for the man at all. I don't know that I've seen men be choked too much in porn or kind of in fetish stuff. So I thought that was uh, relatively interesting uh, looking at that. She has a second data set <clears throat> that she created and I'm it's probably from the same or a similar uh, survey methodology that has the tabooness of fetishes and I think there I'm not sure how, I think on the on Lex Freeman's podcast she actually said that she might have had to go and uh le- um rate the tabooness of each of these things. So examples of extremely non-taboo things would be missionary position sex, obviously fingering vaginas, giving oral sex, the doggy style position, that sort of stuff, stripteases. And then on the other end uh, would be things involving animals. Interestingly, she split out the different types of animals, things involving diseases, something called destructive pregnancies, which I don't even know what that means. Is it like you're pregnant and then I actually don't know destructive pregnancy. Anyway, of course, uh, prepubescent children, which is something we don't talk about on this podcast. Um, medical things, vomit, poop, stuff like that. Far on, then wow, impalement, impalement—that's pretty bad. One that she specifically brought up on the podcast that I'd never actually encountered or heard of before was wound fucking. Um, in any event, there's kind of a curve that's made here, um, that, where. If something's less taboo more people are interested and as you there's some kind of linear down downward trend as something becomes more taboo and then there's kind of a a kink in the curve where things start really becoming unpopular so for example things that are still relatively popular bondage um, some some sort of electricity thing anal hooks an anal hook is something you put in the anus and you you use it to sort of uh, restrain the person um, burning scarification. now we're starting to get kind of aggressive, and then anything you know th- then we get to the ones I mentioned before, and those are kind of far off. So basically, there's kind of a linear linear decline followed by a rapid decline. And generally, um, maybe fifty percent of people are interested in the kind of typical fetishes. Interestingly, she gets numbers like more than fifty percent of people being interested in multiple partners. Maybe that's just the men. Um, you know, more than more than 40 percent being interested in choking double penetration, again, that could just be the men. Um, but then when you get to the uh, more uh, unusual fetishes you're talking about, uh, she's actually using um, <clears throat> scientific notation here. It's a logarithmic scale, so I'm not sure it would be, be certainly like one percent or less or fewer of the people. Um, and actually, she does have a gender preference on this graph too. Uh, which shows, as you might, you would not be surprised to find out the multiple partners is a male, more male fetish, um, spanking more female, uh, being sexually worshipped more female, um, exhibitionism more male. That's kind of sad because people don't want to see men do that, um, unfortunately for them. Uh, she has another little piece here that I found interesting about Uh, She calls it autogynephilia. It's basically people imagining that they are women uh, masturbating or just women. And basically everybody except for trans men, meaning women that want to be men, uh, likes the thought of themselves as a woman in sexual encounters. That makes sense to me. Uh, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that I've been able to amp up my experience before with some sort of imaginative stuff around that. So that doesn't surprise me. And then finally, uh, she has what I thought was interesting also um, a set of statements and how likely people are to consider them to be rape. I thought this was interesting because the word rape is, uh, contains a lot of different possible situations. Um, and then people will try to pers- uh, be more precise by saying date rape, but then people get upset because they'll say, well, that's still rape. And then I think there was a senator at some point here in the U.S. who said something uh, something about legitimate rape, whether something was legitimate rape and he what he meant was whether it's, um, you know something that a 100 out of a hundred people would consider rape on this spectrum. So I'll read a few of these. I think they're interesting. Uh, the one that everyone agrees is rape is a stranger forcibly assaults someone who screams and fights the entire time. All right. Uh, 73% of people thought that uh, sneakily removing a condom during sex was rape. so that's uh, what do they call it stealthing. That really that's that's a relatively new phenomenon, I think. Um, let's see. What? Where, let's see. Right in the middle, forty-eight percent of people. Uh, person A clearly says no to sex after repeated attempts. Person A gets tired and eventually gives in. So about half of people think that's rape. It's interesting. Um, I'm not sure where I would come down on that because the person does consent. Um, but you could argue they're being sort of psychologically tortured into consenting. Uh, let's see. Stealing money back after paying a sex worker for sex. This is something that I do not see much on the Having Fun Hobbying subreddit. I don't think Uncle T would approve of this, but 36% of people think that's rape. So basically, if you if you manage to get the money back, uh, of course, you know, in, in a capitalist system, the money will get, be gotten back eventually some way or another. But I guess if you just steal it back, that's people consider that rape. Okay. 18% of people say lying about wealth or hobbies in order to get laid is rape. Eighteen percent—that's a that's a pretty high number for that. Given that I think that's extremely extremely common, and twelve percent of people think having sex with an unenthusiastic sex worker is rape. I think at that point, yeah, if you're one, of, if you're saying that's rape, you're a—that's uh, a pretty pretty low standard. Another one that's very—that's only thirteen percent has had sex to make a partner happy in a relationship. That also is a pretty low bar, I think, for, for rape. Um, I think, you know, you, most people would look at consent as the most important thing here. And, and, uh, and probably, I mean, you can, I, I'll, I'll include this uh, spectrum in the show notes. You can look at it yourself, but I think that, um, most people would probably, well, I mean, I, I think the definition of consent probably gets around to the 50 or 60% uh, on that spectrum. Meaning once 50 or 60% of people think something's right, that's where you're really not having consent too much. Okay, so I wanted to bring you that, that uh, information from Isla's uh, world and her uh, scientific explorations. I thought it was pretty interesting. And now on to some questions. <clears throat> so here is somebody who asks, is asking if girls get frustrated when a guy can't thrust consistently. So I, 24-year-old male, twenty-four year old male, have been dating this girl who's 27 for about two months And I've been having problems with being able to last. During sex, she's always big on doggy or prone. Prone being doggy, except she's lying flat on her stomach. And so she's big on that, and she's one to throw it back. Meaning she's doing the motion during doggy. The problem is I find myself pulling out or pushing her ways so that I don't come. Right when I'm doing well, she moans or says something, and then the sensation gets to me, and I quit. The other night she was riding and I asked her to hold on a second, and she yells, just fuck me. She's even playfully mentioned how her ex was relentless, and the dude was like a rabbit. I'm guessing girls don't like stop and go. Any advice? It's interesting, because I remember specifically talking to a woman once <clears throat> who was complaining about a guy she was dating being like a rabbit, meaning, I, I don't, like a rabbit, I guess ra- like a rabbit here means just like doing it. Wanting, to me doing the dude was like a rabbit means he wants to have sex all the time but i think what he means is like just humping you know kind of um incessantly without you know with a with a rhythm that doesn't doesn't change i think in a lot of cases women don't like that uh you can look up like terms like getting jackhammered or something so i'm not totally sure uh that's right one re- one reply here says a constant a constant rhythm feels better than stop and go. It often takes some time until it feels really good for me. Maybe you can try to go slower, but with a more consistent rhythm. And then someone asks like a bongo, which is probably not quite right. <clears throat> I'm not sure about um about that. I mean, I think that if the rhythm is working, then keeping it consistent is useful. But if the rhythm isn't working, then I'm not sure about that. And I'm I'm skeptical that it would take more than a few seconds for the woman to know whether the rhythm or whatever is happening is going to work for her <clears throat> I think she would know that rather quickly and I'm skeptical that it would get better uh, uh, for you know after for, after some number of seconds or a minute or something of doing the same thing I think it's much more likely that it would just stay the same or kind of become less stimulating um, yeah I mean one person's saying that, Consistent thrusts that are harder or more vigorous are better than faster. Of course, make more vigorous implies faster, but I think uh, consistent uh, makes sense, especially in positions angles with some G-spot simulation. Obviously, every woman is different. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think it's probable this particular girl has some specific needs or wants. Um, And the bigger issue, I think, here is when he's talking about not being able to last the obvious advice there is typically to beat off beforehand. So he's not on his first shot of the day. Um, but uh, if he's if he's changing what he's doing during you know during sex too because he's worried that he's going to nut too quickly, that's definitely going to be a negative for the woman because. Um, He's basically like getting into a really stimulating position, doing really stimulating things, and actually like his body language to her is going to stimulate her as well. And then he's suddenly stopping to think about baseball or whatever. So he should uh, he should uh, work on that. And the the obvious one is simply to uh, take one out of the gas tank first uh, with her. Potentially, he could just simply talk to her about it and do it that way. Okay, let's see what this person has to say. Uh, my boyfriend won't eat me out anymore. long-time listeners know i don't really like that expression but okay because he doesn't want to be a beta beta um i'm 21 and my boyfriend is 25 he says he won't eat me out anymore because he doesn't want his friends to call him a beta male but he still wants me to give him blowjobs he's been watching a lot of alpha male videos lately and his persona has definitely changed he's very vocal in public to say whatever is on his mind even if it's inappropriate At the movies, he made a comment asking if the circus was in town because the lady at the concessions had a lot of tattoos and I got pissed off and snapped at him. I don't know if that's Alpha. Maybe it is. He wasn't always like this, but now I'm afraid he's gone down the horrific rabbit hole and now I have to leave him because he started making comments about my weight. Uh Uh-oh. And now he says he can't eat me out anymore because it's for betas. But you still want me to blow you? I never want to shame my significant other for their interest in likes, but I'm afraid I have to break up with him. What do I do? Yeah, so... Everybody's of course going to say she should break up with him but I think the more interesting question is this uh distinction between alpha and beta it gets back to that status question um I mean he's ultimately the fear that a guy has in being considered beta is that he won't actually be compelling to her because because uh yeah he won't have the attributes that sort of make her feel like he's going to jump in and defend her or whatever, whatever is in her mind. Um, so this is kind this may be kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't scenario where he's trying to sort of amp himself up to be somebody that she'd want to be with. But in doing so, he's also made himself not want to be someone that she'd she'd want to be with. Um, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure if guys I guess, yeah, you could have a, tro- I, my, my, my sort of general opinion about guys saying that, that i um, giving oral for a guy is beta is that those guys are probably more jealous than anything else. Um, they don't have the same level of access to women or something like that. I think that in, uh, a very high percentage of cases, guys that have significant access to sex with women do this because if they don't, they, 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 they learn that, uh, that it's a good way to maintain that access. And they don't want to run the risk of losing, losing that. And it's simply not worth, uh, um, whatever negative perceived thing would, would come about. The other thing is, I mean, it's strange that he is taking this <clears throat> to the point where he, he, he doesn't have to tell his friends. He doesn't have to tell other people what he's doing. This is one of those activities like, uh, pegging, that I would not necessarily expect to be shared among men. Um, I have to say that I don't think I have ever, ever uh, outside of people that I interact with for this podcast, but in sort of polite or even locker room company, I don't think I've ever heard guys talk in any meaningful way about performing oral sex on women. Um, So I, yeah, I mean, I think men do sort of in social settings view it as kind of a beta thing. Uh, So The, 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 truth is probably either this guy is interacting with men who aren't having sex or he's interacting with men who are actually giving oral, but just are pretending like they're not. Um, and so that, yeah, he's just, he's actually having the wool pulled over his eyes, but it would be tricky. I can see how it would be tricky, especially, I mean, anytime somebody goes, starts going down YouTube rabbit holes, uh, that's kind of tricky. I mean, or YouTube or TikTok or whatever. Once you start, uh, Uh, hewing more to what those folks are telling you than people in the real world. You're going to have problems. Okay. Here's another similar question. I feel uncomfortable eating pussy and it's ruining, ruining my, my sex life. I don't know what's wrong with me or how to fix it. I'm a bisexual guy. All right. And while I've anyway found women attractive in general. I'm not that attracted to vaginas. Hmm. It's okay when they're just there but I get super uncomfortable and kind of grossed out when I feel compelled to do anything with them. This sounds like a guy who might just be gay. I feel like I'm probably not gay because in general, I'm probably more attracted to women. Okay. Both when getting myself off and just when seeing them in public. The only area of contention is that I definitely <laughs> prefer dicks over vaginas, but I'm still super attracted to a girl's face, body tits, etc. It's hard because I know this is a problem with me. Whenever somebody like this is mentioned, the comments are just full of men talking about how they don't have that problem, and often some women talking about how it's a deal-breaker for them and how they feel sorry for the person's girlfriend. I want to be one of those guys who loves it, but every time I've gotten down there, I'm embarrassed myself, and it probably made the girl uncomfortable and not knowing what I'm doing, getting disgusted and uncomfortable. It doesn't feel right to do anything with my girlfriend without reciprocating, so I've kind of been avoiding physical intimacy altogether. She's also unable to have penetrative sex. So all we can really do is foreplay and oral. I worry if I keep avoiding physical intimacy, that she will grow frustrated or resentful. Our relationship is good other than this area. So I really want to figure it out. Not to mention the fact that I don't think anyone would want to be in a relationship with someone with my current issues. I don't know. I was just hoping someone could help me fix myself. Well, I mean, okay. I mean, the first past thought I have here is <clears throat> uh, I was talking earlier today with somebody about uh, transsexual Porn, transsexual, cam people. And I mean, one of the most common things you see is actually like a pre op, I guess, or semi op uh, transsexual, tra- trans woman, where it's a person that sort of looks like a female, has breasts, uh, maybe is on hormones, but has a penis. So it seems like maybe this guy would really like that. Uh, so I mean, that is, I, I think it's usually considered kind of a fetishy thing, but it could be that he could actually find a partner that is of that sort. Um, I'm assuming he doesn't want to have kids because he would need access to a vagina to do that. Um, oh yeah, somebody in the comments here suggested girls with dicks. Um, my, I sort of suggest, suspect that this guy is, is gay and is mostly attracted to, is more likely to be attracted to Uh, Just feminine uh, leaning men than uh, women. Uh, Somebody suggests that he could try eating ass. I don't think that would be better. I think that would, I mean, you're basically taking the issue and compounding it. I don't really, it's interesting. I mean, I assume that um, large numbers of women feel this way. They're not, they would not want to interact with another woman's of China. Of course, part of that has to be like, uh, the fact that they themselves have one. And so they are familiar with all the processes that are involved with having one, which could make it so it's less compelling to you because it's not always in the best possible state. Although, uh, every human has an anus and that does not appear to stop people from wanting to give analingus. You'd think it would, or I could imagine it stopping people, but it doesn't seem to do that. Um, But anyway, I so. But for a man, for a hetero man, it's a little bit hard to understand this. Although you can imagine if you, if there were no sexuality attached to that body part, it would certainly be not necessarily something you want to interact with. I mean, why would you? Um, And so there's definitely some kind of an inbuilt uh, instinct or something that makes men interested in this. And if you don't have that instinct, then that would uh, definitely make it difficult to have sex with a woman. Um, Yeah, I'm afraid this guy. And the other thing, the other thing, of course, is my just general, um, I guess, suspicions, the right word, Uh, skepticism, maybe is better, about um, bisexuality among men. Um, I think it's relatively unusual for somebody to really uh, be interested in both in that way. Um, I mean, I, I like talking to men. I'm friendly with men in much the same way maybe this guy finds women attractive or wants to interact with them, but It sounds like he just doesn't want to have sex with him. Okay. Am I too pretty, too pretty to give a good blowjob? I've often wondered that about myself. Um, So I, female 37, was out with two girlfriends for the weekend. We got chatting to a few guys. One caught my eye and we danced and I asked if he wanted to leave with me. He said, and I quote, you're too pretty. You won't give a good (laughs) blowjob. I asked him what he meant and essentially it was that pretty girls don't have to work for it but plain girls have to work to get laid so are much better at blowjobs I was horrified and astounded is this a universal truth that all guys believe or was he as I suspect full of shit well first of all I think um it's a it's actually really difficult for me to imagine this interaction ever happening because in most cases I mean a blowjob isn't the only thing that could happen first of all and secondly in in some really high percentage of cases, the guy wouldn't just destroy the situation like this. Um, So it suggests maybe there's something else going on. Um, All that being said, uh, I do actually think there's some validity to what he's saying. Um, I think that uh, my amateur, but pretty well-informed opinion is that the less attractive a woman is, or when a woman is less attractive, it does seem to increase her interest in sex and her sex drive generally. Um, I mean, of course that's not true if she's feeling bad about herself or ashamed of something, but in general, uh, there seems to be a phenomenon where, uh, women who are less attractive, uh, because they still want to have a partner. They still want that connection, uh, will simply become more interested in sex because that is a lever that can pull to, uh, Improve their odds of attracting a man, and they might do it. I mean, I my personal view is this would happen subconsciously. So they're not sitting around thinking, "Oh, I'm gonna get more sexual because of this," because because I'm not not as successful finding men. Uh, they instead just naturally get, gets upregulated just because of scarcity of lack of availability of men to have sex with. So I do think that there's probably there could well be something to this. Now I don't know if I have enough experience with different uh, levels of uh, attractiveness I mean I could talk in terms of porn and you will see women who are less attractive kind of trying harder but again that's probably just related to the fact that they it's harder for them to get gigs right in the industry um, but so there is a, there is a logic to this it obviously doesn't have to be true there's no reason why your attractiveness should control what happens here it's just something where uh where a woman yeah might not prioritize it and wouldn't need to because it would be easy to get men. Now that being said, I mean, telling a woman she's too pretty for you to want to have sex with her—that has to be a really, really, really rare thing for a woman to hear. That's um, just you know not generally how men are going to think. Okay, this one's for women who are into rough sex. Is there any way to prevent? Or control the pain afterwards. I love having some nice rough sex, but my vagina is always hurtful and sore for one or two days after that. This can't be an English speaker because "hurtful" implies the vagina is saying nasty things. It means it hurts. Anyway, especially if my clit is rubbed roughly, I feel like it'll just come off after a few hours. I guess she's okay. I'm also always worried that the irritation might make me prone to infections. Lubricants play a significant role, that's for sure but is there anything else to be done? I hate feeling uncomfortable for days because of a few hours of fun, but I also sometimes just really want it so badly I can't stop myself from going for it. Plus, is this even normal? Does it happen to everyone or is it just me? Do I need to visit a doctor? Also, is there anything I can do to lower the chance of infection caused by small cuts? This is an interesting, I mean, I actually think this is sort of interesting because it's a pretty big asymmetry we talked earlier about the asymmetry i mean <clears throat> the uh, the implied or there's an implicit asymmetry between what men and women are looking for in sex if the woman is looking for status and considering that the man is maybe looking for attractiveness youth or just to get as not just anybody but i think attractiveness and youth which are a form of status of course but it's different um he, he, you know here you have a situation where, where a man and a woman might both be interested in this rough sex activity. And the after effects are quite different for the man than for the woman. And frankly, I mean, that can be the case, well, even setting aside something like pregnancy or STIs, that's the case for even vanilla experiences because the um, it's just a much more kind of aggressive activity for the woman than it is for the man. So I think that's something where men don't consider too much uh, what the subsequent experience is for a woman. I mean, sometimes it's gonna be nothing significant, but here, I mean, you could definitely imagine her having a partner who does not realize what goes on. And actually, when I read this question, it it made me think that I don't know if I've ever we, we have had people on the show and <clears throat> discussed with people BDSM and different activities like that. And I don't know if I've ever actually asked what they do the next day or the next five days or whatever. Even if you don't have visible bruises or something like that, it's somewhat likely that you would have uh, pain uh, or um, cuts or something like that, and that could be anywhere from sort of annoying to problematic in your job or other things. Um, there's somebody suggesting that they take ibuprofen. I mean, that's kind of that could be kind of risky because you uh, you might then not know how injured you are and depending on how kind of aggressive you are with this you could be materially injured here's one person saying that you can cause nerve damage to the clit um i mean i guess that's possible i don't yeah i mean i well i'm reminded of the uh the woman there was a woman who had a crusade on TikTok for a while she seems to have disappeared or at least from my feed and her big thing was about labiaplasty and surgeons not understanding where the nerves are, the pudendal nerves, I guess, in the that innervate the clitoris, and then wind up cutting them. And I guess she had had that happen to her, so she lost her feeling in her clit, which um, was kind of rough. And she did say that, like, it's, it's surprisingly close to the surface, so that does make sense. I also um, <clears throat> I saw another video this week of a woman discussing. Uh, an incident when she was a child, I think she was nine years old and she, her brother pushed her into a swimming pool and she fell in such a way that she, like she one leg went into the swimming pool and one didn't. And so then on the sort of corner there, her vagina, her vulva hit really hard and she had to have reconstructive surgery. Um, and every, you know, she claimed everything was functional now, although it would be hard, potentially hard to know, right? I mean, you might, it's, it's like, um, men with circumcision, uh, people will say, well, it's not a big deal, but it's actually kind of rare for men to have, a, it's not insanely rare, but it's somewhat rare for men to have adult circumcision. And so because of that, men don't necessarily know what the delta in sensation is. And you have men on either side of the fence saying, you know, you have men that are circumcised and pro-circumcision saying, oh, come on, it's not that big of a deal. And then you have men that have more intact foreskins or maybe a completely intact foreskin saying, oh man, you you don't know what you're missing. It's so great over here. But of course, neither of them really knows. Because they don't have the experience of the other, and so yeah, I mean, you don't. That's 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 something you could be concerned about. Is that if you get too rough with certain areas, you might diminish the sensation and then not be able to get it back. I, I could imagine that being scary as a woman. If like, and I, I do believe I've read things from women who've had swelling in that area and things don't feel right anymore. And you wonder is this going to, is going to self correct or is it going to stay like this? So, yeah, I mean, you want to be careful with it and, uh, and I, yeah, I've been remiss. I should ask more, some more guests and so forth, what, um, their experiences the day after the week after they do these sorts of things, because it's not something that I considered much. And as a man, I think you often don't consider it because, uh, we, we don't bear the brunt of this typically. Okay. How do you subtly let a guy know that you're DTF over text? Without being too forward in case it isn't reciprocated, i been talking to this guy over text who's currently traveling but lives in my city. I'm not looking for anything, and I get the vibe that neither is he. I woke up feeling really bored and horny, and I wanted to try testing the waters to see if the conversation could go in a spicier direction. Any advice? Yeah, I mean, the typical advice is just basically to invite him over. Um, because guys will... In most cases understand uh, where that's headed you can get into confusing situations if a guy either doesn't understand or willfully ignores the standard practice there of coming over equals having sex um and i've uh, encountered some situations like this and I mean, I think that, you know, that, that's something, that's something that can happen, but in almost all cases, he's going to understand what, what you're going for there. I don't think the right thing to do is to like start sending him pictures or necessarily even dirty texting him because then you're basically making it. So he has like a, um, uh, an artifact of the conversation you had, then that could be problematic later. Uh, if he, if things take a turn for the worse, uh, yeah, women have the advantage in this situation that they don't really have to do in general, but put in much effort in, in figuring out how to uh, incentivize the guy to, uh, to do that. I would also mention that if she's on the less attractive, overweight, and so forth side, I think she is more likely to have a situation where he willfully or otherwise misunderstands the situation and maybe does come over and just hangs out. Um, And so that could be frustrating for her if she's attractive, in spite of what the earlier guy said, that um, pretty girls don't give good blowjobs. I think in almost all situations, he's going to um, behave in the way she wants him to behave. Although if she was really attractive, one would wonder why she's texting some guy who's out of town and so on and so forth when she's horny. She'd probably have some other solution or she could even have the Isla girl solution of getting paid to have casual sex. I wonder... I wonder how much how compelling that that would be to some women. I wonder if that's if there's like a an underserved niche there of women who if they realized they could escort in that way, they would. I'm not sure. Probably not. Okay. Does my fantasy make me a whore? <clears throat> the answer is probably yes. Let's see. I spoke to some friends about fantasies recently and was seriously shamed by them for being a slut and a whore. So probably female friends? We'll see. I've always had a pretty vivid imagination and I've had a lot of sexual fantasies, but I've yet to be fulfilled and I just wanted to share with you, I've always enjoyed the idea of being gangbanged, but the idea of having a penis in each hole and one in each hand so I'm completely stuffed feels really daunting to me. So that would be one, two four, five, five penises. Okay. There are two main gangbang fantasies that I have. The first is to have a train run on me. And as I can't get pregnant, then obviously all the guys would be able to come inside and give me cream pies. The thought of five to 10 men fucking me and coming inside me one after the other before going to the back of the line if they want round two is honestly unbearably sexy to me. Okay. The second is to have a bunch of men circle around me while I lay there and just masturbate until they all come on me, a bit like a soggy biscuit where I replace the biscuit. They could come anywhere. I really don't mind. Just the thought of being glazed and come turns me on like nothing else. This, okay. Um, does this fantasy make me a whore? Uh, kind of. I mean, it's a, the, you know, I think, right, this is the, it comes down to a definitional question of like, how do you define whore and slut? Of course, part of it depends on whether you want to act on the fantasy. Um, but I mean, that's that's kind of the, the sort of fantasy you're having here. So I think on some level, the answer is yes, um, but not necessarily in a bad way. But in terms of the specifics of the fantasies, um, I've always found the five to 10 men coming inside one after another fantasy confusing. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to understand why either Party in that situation would like it. I know there's tons of porn of this, but I've always sort of imagined that even the guys may require well, the first guy maybe doesn't take much of a fee, but the, say, fifth or tenth guy seems like maybe you'd have to pay him, pay him a lot rather, to get him to do that scene because it's kind of gross. I mean, the only saving grace there, I think, is I would be vaguely curious to find out if the evolutionary hypothesis that the shape of the head of your penis is meant to plunge out other people's semen if that's true but I'm not sure if I'd want to find that out in that way I could probably find it out in a different way maybe using some other fluid <laughs> and also it might be hard to tell because it would probably just be a frothy mess in any event uh I also don't really understand why the woman would find that compelling uh, may, maybe some kind of submission kink that's more I guess that's easier for me to understand because it's you know it would be similar to a oh man having a bunch of women who he has sex with again, and you know, all at the same time. Um, I also, it's hard for me to understand the lots of guys coming on me fantasy. Um, these are both styles of porn that I kind of shy away from. I don't really like them. Um, so, but does it make you a slutter or a whore? I mean, sort of, sort of, but it depends on what, you know, really depends on whether that bothers you, whether those words or the definitions bother you. Okay. Does the pussy slap actually do anything? And before I read this, I'm going to guess that I think the pussy slap is... um, Someone else sent me this question. I'm going to guess that it's the thing in porn where the guy either slaps the woman's vulva with his penis or actually slaps it with his hand. This question is really targeted toward vulva owners. Does slapping the head of a penis into the clitoris, for example, actually do anything for you? I've watched it done countless times in porn videos and really just wondered. Obviously, you need to take Anything you see from porn with a grain of salt, but surely if it's popped up so frequently, there must be some level of truth involved. A minute sense of pleasure? From a penis owner's perspective, it just feels like a mic check. Zero satisfaction from me personally. Yeah, so people are saying it's okay. Someone said they thought it was just for good luck. Um, It's just pointless. I think that's right. It's generally just pointless. I mean, I think that you could um, draw an analogy between this and... Um, I mean, most things that involve the clit, you could just imagine it being done to the head of your penis. It's like a basic like, first pass way to understand it. And if somebody just slapped the head of your penis with their hand, that would be kind of uncompelling. Or uh, heaven forfend, uh, slap the head of your penis with the head of their penis, which would be an MM situation. Um, so no, I don't think it really does anything. I think that it's, I, I, the, the evolution of this, I think comes from, generally things that men do to kind of lubricate the head of their penis before they start having sex. And so, you know, normally to do that, there are a few things you could do, but one thing you could do is kind of like mashed around to get lubrication on it. And then, you know, naturally since it's there and like, because of the way it moves, you could easily imagine kind of slapping around with it. And I think that's kind of uh, what, what produces this, uh, this behavior. Um, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's particularly pleasurable for either party. It may be a slight sign of, sign of dominance for the guy, but for the woman, I think it's just whatever. Um, I think that generally, I mean, it's a little bit tricky to stimulate clits, and it requires sort of constant pressure and stimulation and uh, anything that's kind of just a, a quick hit like this isn't likely to be very effective. We have time, I think, for one one more topic very quickly. My 18-year-old bro- boyfriend... And the person asking here is also an 18-year-old, is an 18-year-old female. Stops me mid-blowjob to kiss me. I guess maybe she's doing a great job. I guess she's not that pretty. I thought guys didn't like kissing during slash after blowjobs because it's gross. My boyfriend always stops me and pulls me up to kiss. I don't mind that he kissed me. In fact, it makes me really happy. I feel appreciated and it turns me on even more. But just wow, I've always been told that men find it gross. But what do I do? What do I know? This is my first boyfriend. So, I mean the answer to this one's pretty straightforward. I think it's that he um he hasn't come yet. And so it's not he's not bothered by what's going on yet. Uh he doesn't really care that there's some of fluids or whatever from his penis in your mouth. It doesn't make any difference to him. Um but he probably although you do curiously often, not 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 often, but somewhat more than occasionally in porn see men that kiss Or somehow engage with their their semen after they've nutted, which always is kind of surprising. I think that's a relatively uncommon or actually a very uncommon behavior. But this one I think is sort of normal. Uh, Guys don't really care. He's basically just trying to stay connected to you. He's worried that you are um, kind of feeling disconnected from him. He wants to show that he appreciates what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Honestly, he probably wouldn't do it. He's doing it more for you than for himself. In most cases, um, because he's, you're having to stop stimulating, stop stimulating him to kiss him. So that's not great. Um, but I mean, there are guys that, for example, you know, I've seen, there are guys that would enjoy like kissing while getting a hand job, for example, and the kiss kissing would add to it, right? It's more sensation and so forth. So it's not a negative. Um, so he might, he might to some extent be doing it for himself, but it's probably just to show you that he's, uh, wants to stay connected with you and so forth. So pretty straightforward answer. Well, that's it for episode 105 of Your Mileage May Vary. Uh, As always, you can email us feedback at ymmvpod at gmail.com. We've had some amount of uptick in our feedback, which is good to see. As always, we appreciate ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast app. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at at ymmvpod. And uh, we do pay $10 for feedback that's uh, in good faith. And uh, we, we do appreciate hearing from our listeners. We also appreciate subscriptions. Uh, we found that our, as our search ranking steadily increases in the various podcast podcast apps, that getting more subscriptions uh, helps to uh, speed that and make it, make it happen faster. And as always, you can uh, enjoy transcripts of the shows and other information like that at ymmvpod.com, which is our website. Thank you very much, and hope to see you next week when Keith will be back in the hosting chair. Je vais, <laughs> je je viens Je no.